to our scripture for this morning. We are in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from verses 1 all the way through 10. I think it's on the screen. Yes. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we are, kind of halfway through summer, number opportunity here to worship together, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. In fact, this week marks the beginning of the NFL football season as we kick off um, the initial training camp. And so um, that reminds us that football season's right around the corner. Of course, we always have a football up here um, because Back in the day, Coach Lombardi would bring his team together this time of year, and he would call them in, and he would hold up that football, and he'd say, gentlemen, this is a football. And the reason he did that is because the game of football can become complex. There's a lot of strategy in it. There's relationships. There's the media, all the other different aspects of statistics that go into the game. But it really just boils down to this football, getting in the end zone and keeping the other team from getting in the end zone. And the same thing happens with our faith. So often we kind of make it more complicated than it really is. And so we need to be focused on the fundamentals. And as a church, we are focused on these fundamentals that we see the early church focused on. These 12 items up here, we think they're so important because they help us stay focused on the main things and the plain things of our faith. Now, what we'd like everybody to do, of course, you've heard about this, is get involved in a pillar. Um, in fact, today, if you're not in one, just go online, Pick any one of the pillars that really kind of excites you. There's all kinds of scripture in there for you. There's um, videos, there's books to read, and just start reading up on it. And then sign up for one and become part of this community of practice so that in your everyday ordinary life, you can start putting this into play. And that's really how this works. Let's say that you pick number 10 up there, Grateful Hearts. Everywhere you go, whether you go to the ball fields, you go to the grocery store, you go to work, wherever it may be, with the Holy Spirit's help, Express gratitude, be merciful, be charitable, be generous with your time and particularly your attention towards other people and just watch what happens as you live out your faith and as you live out that calling of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. So that's what we're on, that's our focus as a church these days. Today, we're gonna wrap up this mini-series where Paul teaches on the doctrine of grace. Basically, saved by grace, through faith, really important words. In fact, when C.S. Lewis was asked, what makes Christianity different from all other faiths? He said it comes down to one word, grace. Every other faith 
requires you to earn something. There's merit associated with it. But with Christianity, it's just grace. It's getting something you didn't deserve, unmerited favor. And that's why a couple weeks ago, we handed out cookies to everyone. None of you deserved any to get a cookie, didn't do anything that week that was worthy of a cookie, but we gave one anyway because we wanted you to experience that grace. And then last week, we kind of upped the bar a little bit, and we handed out an apple. Now, many of you are looking at me like I have two heads up here, because if you had the choice between a cookie and an apple, you're always going to choose the cookie, right? Or most of us will. But here's the thing, the apple is a healthier grace, which is important because God doesn't always give us grace in the form of a cookie, but it is always good for us. And today's gift of grace extends this truth even further. I'm telling you, you're going to absolutely love it this week. Okay, so Cami read basically verses 1 through 10, and we kind of unpacked the first two-thirds of that the last two weeks. Today we're kind of going to wrap it up with this last part, verses 7 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so Paul's main thesis here is that for, by grace, you have been saved through faith. We really must understand this. It's become all too familiar to too many of us. Those words, saved, is one of those things where we kind of mess up what those prepositions mean. Two weeks ago, Paul described our condition, dead in sin, following after the world, following after Satan, and the passions of our flesh. He called us children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind, deserving of nothing but eternal destruction. In fact, that graphic up there on the far right, that leads that wide dark path that leads to eternal destruction, that's exactly where we're all headed. Last week, we learned that even despite our dreadful condition, God rescued us. And we saw those two great words, but God. But God made us alive in Christ. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Out of the riches of his mercy and his great love for us. Now today, Paul talks about how it is that we've been saved, how we've become alive in Christ. It's by God's grace his unmerited favor that we've been saved, and it even comes despite ourselves. You see, God owes us absolutely nothing, and there's not one ounce of merit we bring to our salvation. It's all of God, and that's been the main point Paul's been making throughout the entirety of his letter to the church in Ephesus so far. He began by teaching that God chose his saints before the foundation of the world as his adopted children. And then God redeemed his children, freed them from the bondage of sin that's represented by that bridge you see up there. God enables his children's safe passage from death to life by virtue of his son's blood that was shed on the cross so that his children, made alive in Christ, might receive their inheritance as rightful heirs to his kingdom. So the entirety of our salvation is a result of God choosing us and rescuing us. He is solely responsible for it all. If you think about it, 
None of us had anything to do with us being born the first time when we landed on this earth. So why would we think that we would have something to do with us being born again when we are dead in our sin? So what is our role? Well, as we said last week, it's very simple. We simply bring the sin that leads to death. That's it. God does all the rest. So hopefully we've started to grasp this truth, but we have to ask today, how is it then that it actually works out in our lives? And Paul tells us it's through faith. It plays out in our everyday, ordinary lives through our response of us placing our faith in this truth that by God's grace, we have been saved. You see, it's through faith that we cross that bridge God provided for us. And faith has basically two main components. It has a belief component and it has a behavior component. Faith manifests itself through placing our belief in Christ and through behaving in step with our belief in Christ. It's essentially living a life in response to what God has done for us through the work of his son on the cross. Now, as I mentioned before, these two prepositions are really important for us to grasp by and through, because they hold the key to a clear understanding of Paul's teaching on this truth. So many people are confused by this, so pay a special careful attention to this this morning. The use of the word by means that it's the source. God's grace is the reason for our salvation. And the use of the word through conveys that it's the mechanism. It's through faith, both belief and behavior, and that's how we experience salvation in our life. Through faith, we believe in Jesus, and we behave in step with his commands. But just in case we're tempted to think we bring our faith to the table as though it's our faith that saves us, Paul seems determined to make it crystal clear that our salvation is all from God. Because he goes on to make four distinct and direct declarations that build on each other. First, he says, and this is not your own doing. To appreciate what Paul is saying here, we need to be clear about what this pronoun, this, refers to. And if you look back to the previous sentence, we basically got three options. It's either the word grace, the word saved, or the word faith. And we can rule out grace and faith because the gender of the pronoun this doesn't match the gender of these two words. So Paul is actually referring to the word saved. He's essentially saying our salvation is not of our own doing. Of course, this is somewhat semantical if you think about it because grace and faith play such a critical role in salvation, but it's important because Paul is referring to the entirety of salvation. None of it is our own doing. Now, we can be very tempted to view this phrase, it's not our own doing, as it's not all of us. So we potentially could bring a little something to the table, play a small role. But Paul slams the door on that argument with his second declaration. He says, it's the gift of God. So salvation is a gift of God. It's not something we can manufacture within us. God grants us this gift of salvation. Now, sometimes we receive gifts because we've done something to earn them. So just in case we're tempted to think we've merited this gift for some reason, Paul follows up with his third declaration, that it's not a result of works. No merit 
on our part. So our salvation isn't based on anything we say or anything we do. Not our church attendance, not our volunteer time, not our giving. It's not based on our profession of faith. It's not even based on our baptism. There is no work or merit on our part at all. And Paul is clear about that. You want to know why? Because of his fourth declaration, so that no one may boast. It is always in the context of works that we're most liable to boast. So let's just take a moment and briefly examine ourselves to see if we have a boasting problem. Ask yourself this question, how did we become a Christian? Does our idea of how we became a Christian give any grounds for being proud of ourselves, for boasting? Do we see ourselves as good religious men and women? Do we think of ourselves, look at me and my religious duties. Look at me and my life. Look at me and how I raise my kids. Look at me, look at me. I've given myself to this godly, holy living and I'm indeed worthy of God's grace. We're so tempted to go there, aren't we? We're so certain God is lucky to have us on his team because we're more holy than our neighbor. After all, we read our Bible from cover to cover at least once every year. We pray every day. We're proud of our reputation for being a good Christian. And that's exactly why so many professing Christians struggle with this doctrine of grace. Because the very idea that we stand naked before the throne of God is intolerable to us. The idea that we don't have a single thing to offer him, that's just too much. So we hang on to this word faith. We say, my faith is what saves me, and we boast in that, but not according to scripture. It's not your faith in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. There's a sacrifice, his blood that he gives us by grace. That's it. Because whenever we move our faith into the equation, we essentially turn faith into a work. It's my faith, something that I did. But salvation is completely a gift from God, every last bit of it to include our faith. Now make no mistake, faith is important, but it is simply the mechanism through which our salvation works. And Paul is so very careful in this text to leave nothing to men in procuring their own salvation. It is all of God. You see, good works do not lead to Christianity. Christianity leads to good works. The order is so critical. Check out this graphic up here. It's designed for us to see this truth just a little bit more clearly in the context of how we have essentially become faithful Christians. On the left side of the cross, we stand dead in sin. We're unbelieving, rebellious, lawless, selfish, sinful. On the right side of the cross, we stand on our religion, our good works, our judgment that we're better than others, boastful, self-righteous, sinful. And on either side of the cross, we are not in Christ. Both sides are headed for eternal destruction. The left, because they fail to place their faith in Jesus, to believe in him and behave in step with their belief, and the right, because they added their religiosity and good works to Christ's atoning sacrifice 
on the cross. But God, as we learned last week, by grace and grace alone, saves us by Christ's work on the cross alone. We bring nothing to it. And that plays out as we respond to this truth in our lives through the mechanism of our faith. God calls us to believe this truth and also to behave in step with our belief. We're saved through faith, not by faith. When we're in Christ, in the middle, we're made alive, raised together with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. We have exactly what we need to overcome being dead in our sin and not one iota more from our religion. That's why religion is so often burdensome to us. We carry it around like this heavy weight, but grace through faith is not. It's freedom because our salvation isn't based on us. It's all on God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, who when he says things, they just happen, and his promises are golden. He will do it. All we have to do is respond to this gift through faith, belief, and behavior. And of course, behavior has elements of good works in it, which is why Paul continues his instruction, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a statement. This thing is mind-blowing for several reasons. First, it's as if Paul is still not certain that we've got this truth. He starts out with his main point, that by grace we have been saved through faith. Salvation is by God's grace. Then he says, this is not your own doing. So don't even try to take credit, not even for that faith part either. And then he says, it is the gift of God. And he's talking about the entirety of salvation. And then he stomps his foot one more time, as if to say, to be clear, this isn't a result of works, no boasting. And then he grabs us by the shirt and he shakes us with his truth that we are God's workmanship. We do not make ourselves Christians. God makes us Christians. We're a result of his workmanship. We're just a lump of clay. God is the workman, making us alive in Christ, the Holy Spirit working in us each day. And second, Paul shows us the purpose that God has for each of us to do good works. Salvation makes us alive, makes us free to do good works. So we don't do good works to be saved, to go to heaven. It's because we're already saved, we're already going to heaven, that we respond by doing good works. I like the way Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. Good works can't produce salvation, but there's something radically wrong if salvation doesn't produce good works. Salvation is all about forgiveness. If we have been forgiven by God for all that we've done, how then can we not forgive others? If we find ourselves sitting out here this morning in a state where we refuse to forgive people, maybe there's something radically wrong. If we dread coming to church, if it's, oh, I come up with every excuse in the book to not be here, Maybe there's something radically wrong. If we rejected this idea of taking up a pillar, it's so easy. You don't even have to attend meetings. You just put it into place in your everyday, ordinary lives. 
But if you still reject that, maybe there's something that's radically wrong. Because we were created in Christ, born again as his adopted children to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even our works are from God. They were prepared before we were created so that we might walk in them. That's why God gave us the skills, the knowledge, the behaviors, the resources that he did to be used for his purposes, for his glory, not ours. So what Paul is saying once again to us through this passage today is that we must get over ourselves. We saw it last week too, no pride. This isn't about our working our way into heaven. We simply must get over ourselves so that we can do what we're all made to do. Now, our text today also affords an opportunity to just briefly speak into this common debate among Christians about are we saved by faith or are we saved by our works? And hopefully we've shown today how nonsensical this debate really is, and for two reasons. First, we're not saved by faith or works, we're saved by grace. So it really is a ridiculous argument. And second, James teaches that faith without works is dead, so they must coexist. We absolutely need both of them. We can't have one without the other. It's like arguing whether breathing in or breathing out is more important. And we see Paul doesn't even entertain a debate about faith and works at all here in his letter to the church in Ephesus. The way Paul speaks about faith, he just assumes that behavior or works are an integral part of faith. So there's no biblical basis for a debate between faith and works. We're not saved by either, we're saved by grace, and we absolutely need both. Now let's go back to our bridge graphic to see all, all this hangs together. The bridge represents God's grace, the source of our salvation, and our response to the bridge represents the mechanism of faith. It's how we as humans experience the salvation that God provides for us in Christ through our belief and our behavior. We stand on the left side of that bridge up there, dead in sin and headed for eternal destruction. The only way out of our condition is by this bridge. It leads us to a place where we're gonna be made alive again, forgiven, made right before God, but only if we cross the bridge. So what does it take to cross this bridge? Because there seems to be a lot of uncertainty about the bridge. It's really hard to see what's below. You can't really tell what's off in the distance. And it's even hard to assess the condition of the bridge. Now, it actually looks pretty beaten, abused, broken, as if it's been flogged and crucified. So there's a lot to question here. But then we confront our condition the fact that we're dead in sin, headed for eternal destruction. So we kind of got to take this bridge seriously. But before we can step onto this bridge, we got to do a couple of things. First, we have to believe that this bridge is sufficient to get us there, that it's actually going to hold. And that must means that we got to learn the truth about it. Because when we do, our situation actually looks more like this. Plush, green, vegetation, blue skies, fresh air. There is life on the other side. Yeah, that river below, it's a little unsettling because it represents the things of this world, 
but just look at what lies ahead. That's why Paul asked God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so we can see it. Because if we don't see it, there's no way we're going to even take one step onto that bridge. And of course, to make it across, it's going to require faith, both belief and behavior. You've got to believe that bridge is going to hold. It is sufficient to get you there and that you need nothing more. It's not really a cookie, is it? Not exactly what you'd want. Well, something seems a little bit more safe, but it is always good. There's always exactly what you need. At the same time, you can have all the belief in the world that it's going to hold, but unless you take a step and behave, you're still dead in your sin, still headed for eternal destruction. So while Christ's sacrifice enables our salvation and the Holy Spirit's convicting us all the time of our sinful condition and that it's a real problem, we still got to respond. Our response is placing our faith in the truth that this bridge will save us. And then we got to take action, behavior, doing those good works prepared for us in advance. Each additional step, affirming our faith, making us more Christ-like. So we simply can't get out of our dreadful condition of being dead in our sin without this bridge. It was built specifically for each and every one of us, and it will hold. It is our salvation, nothing we did to build it or set it in place for us. That was all God, but we must respond to it. Believe it will hold, behave according to our belief by taking that step, and each additional step requires that we'll believe the next will hold or else we'll probably turn back. But as we make our way, we gain more and more assurance because the Holy Spirit is walking with us hand in hand, convicting us of the truth of Christ, counseling us, comforting us, assuring us every step of the way. God the Father decided to build a bridge for you. God the Son built it for you. And God the Holy Spirit shoulders you across it. It is from him. You get there through him, and it takes you to him on the other side. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you with nothing but our sin. In humility, we thank you for your amazing grace, for your unmerited favor saving us from our sin. Build in us, we pray, the faith that we need to believe in your promises, to believe in the work of your Son on the cross, and to behave in step with the Holy Spirit's counsel in our lives by carrying out the good works that you prepared for us before the beginning of time. We praise your mighty name, Jesus, and thank you for this word today. Amen. So, if we're still hanging out on the other side of this bridge, I encourage everyone to take some time this afternoon, truly check out the website, grab a pillar, it's super easy to put into your everyday, ordinary life. It's one of the fundamentals, the foundation of our life, and that is exactly what it means to carry out a Christian life, to be on mission, step by step, day by day, until we're all united together as one on the other side. For the saints, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, death has no hold on us 
any longer. God's grace holds us now. And that's exactly what we're going to sing about. I invite all of you in response to just remain seated. The band's going to sing a song. If you know the lyrics, feel free to join in with them. But it's my prayer that we will make this song our prayer this week as we respond to the Great Commission in our life and as we live out this mechanism of faith. 